Hopefully everyone's ready to study God's word. Uh, you know, praise God, as I always say, praise God that he's brought us through another week. You know, all the different, um, all the different situations, all the different uh, checklists that we've gotten done, all the activities, um, all the responsibilities. Uh, it's always good to come back uh, to temple, come back on Shabbat to rest in his presence, not worrying about anything else other than uh, communing with God. Um, so that, you know, obviously, as we've gone through another week, you know, we come back and we rest in his presence and get filled back up. That's the, one of the importances of this day, is so that our cups may get filled back up of what was, um, what was taken away throughout the week. All week we are navigating the world. All week we are experiencing a variety of events, conversations, situations. Some good, some bad. All taking its toll on our spirits. Thank God we have this watering hole, and I don't think we can promote it, emphasize it, highlight it enough how important this day is. How that is just not coming to a community center and seeing um, our, our friends and our family, right? And having a, a good time, having good conversations, eating good food. It's not just about that, right? It's so much more. Praise God that we have this watering hole, that we are able to stop by every week to refresh our souls. As David states in Psalm 23, verse 3, which says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the, for the sake of his name. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Looking at the term restore, the Hebrew word for that is shuv. Hopefully this term sounds very familiar to many of you. We speak of shuv many times here. Whether it's in the form of shuv, shuva, teshuva, we spend many teachings highlighting the importance of this term. Shuv, meaning turning back, returning, and interestingly is used in this scripture as restoring. I find it as a perfect description of what we experience every time we come here for Shabbat or festivals like we did last Sunday for Shavuot. When we turn away from the world on Shabbat, we are returning back to our source for living. He restores our souls and refreshes our spirits to journey forward. Throughout the week, we go out into the world. God guides us in all the activities that we have to partake in and sends us to people to speak of him, be a representation, be a light to all those around us. And then we come back to the temple. We come back to Shabbat, our watering hole. We return, we 180 degrees turn away from the world and return back to God to get refilled, to, so that our, from the fountain of living waters for, um, you know, for our cups to be overflowing. The most important aspect of this verse, though, and one we must always remember, is that it's for, his, for the sake of his name. Not for us, not for our desires, not for our energy, not for our wills, what we want to do, but for him so that we may go back into the world, tilling the ground, planting and watering the seeds, so that the harvest may be reaped and gathered unto God. With this in mind today, we are going to focus on God's name. Like you see up there, the title of today is All About His Name. 
Not necessarily his literal name and all the, the variations we see discussed in the world, in not how to say it or how to write it, but what it means for his name to be placed on his people. What it means for us to carry God's name as a banner throughout our daily lives. The verse that will be used as the foundation for today's teaching is found in the Torah portion for today. Number 6, verse 27 states, So they shall put my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. The Hebrew word for name is Shem. And it can be defined as name or reputation. The Greek word for this name is Onoma, and can be defined as a proper name or similar to reputation. You know, this name is used for everything which the name covers. Everything, the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, remembering the name. You know, one's rank, authority, interest, pleasure, command, excellences, deeds. You know, as I was thinking about the importance of a name, the power of a name, what the main name represents. Is it just a label or is it so much more than that? Is it represent, representing the person, the individual, the entity as in God? I, I, was, I was researching online and looking, uh, looking at quotes outside of the Bible of how people uh, have, have described, have seen what a name is. Three, three um, quotes I came across a couple, uh, really all Proverbs, but basically, good men must die, but death cannot kill their names. Tigers die and leave their skins. People die and leave their names. Words have meaning and names have power. It's interesting when we think about names in our society and individuals, like you, you see, whether it's um, names placed on colleges or other buildings or names on street signs, why are those names placed on those um, places, on street signs, on buildings, on colleges? Why is that? Is it because the name sounds cool? No, it's what's behind the name. It's what actions that person did that promoted that name, if you will. I believe these definitions we reviewed and these sayings highlight the importance of a name. That it's not just a label for someone to call you but that it should be viewed as a banner of who you are, a verb in a sense of who you are, a walking, living, breathing description. When we apply this to God and to the two verses we have read so far, Psalm 23 and number 6, a picture begins to form, especially as it relates to what is meant when God puts his name on a place or a people. Reviewing again the verses that led to this teaching, we're going to expand it a bit and read a couple of the verses before 27. Number 6, 22 through 27 states, and The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The, more, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. This section details how God is commanding the high priest and his sons to bless the children of Israel and what they should say. In the past, we've discussed these blessings, the importance of them, what God was seeking to place on the people of Israel and provide them. The Aaronic benediction acts as a charge 
that every time the high priest would recite it in the presence of Israel, they would be reminded how important is it? God has put so many reminders in our lives. So many reminders in scripture. And that's why it's so important for us to continually to read scripture. Because it reminds us of what he said. It reminds us of who we are in him. It reminds us of what God we serve. We do a huge disservice to ourselves, to God, to everybody around us if we're not reading this. You know, and we do a huge disservice when we don't get into the details of what the words say. As opposed to saying, you know, love your neighbor and just leaving it at that. But diving deep into, well, what does love mean? The covering and the refreshing he is providing. That's why Abraham, during the Akidah, the binding of Isaac, after the angel stopped him from striking his son, and God provided a replacement offering, that Abraham called the place gave it the name of Jehovah Yireh in Genesis 22:14, which states, And Avraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of Jehovah it shall be provided. The name Jehovah Yireh literally means Jehovah will see. In a sense of an actionable seeing. That God will see to it. He will ensure that he takes action for his people by providing sustenance, providing wonders, salvation in his timing. Again, showing the importance of a name and how a name promotes so much more than just a label. But a reminder, an actionable banner for all to see and follow. Now every time after Abraham provided, gave that name to that spot, Every time that someone walked past that place, especially those who heard of the wonder that God did in that mount, they will, they will proclaim Yehovah Yireh, and by doing so, remind themselves of what an awesome, powerful God they serve. A God who sees and provides. This week in Yeshiva, we discussed Luke chapter 7. And in chapter 7, it talks about a woman who, when Yeshua was invited into uh, Simon the Pharisee's house, this woman uh, got an alabaster jar and poured it upon his feet and washed his feet with the, with the um, alabaster and the, the tears and wiped it with her hair. And we discussed how that showed love. And then I, you know, I, I, we had a discussion around what does love mean? And, you know... Yeah, I, I pushed a little bit, and I know that it's, it's not a knowledge thing, right, about love. Clearly, we all know what love means. But in yeshiva, I was asking, well, what is love? How do you show love? What does that even mean? Because I think a lot of times we will say, well, love your neighbor. Uh, we will say, well, we, we, we must love people. We love, and all you hear is the term love. But what does that truly mean? And as we kept having the discussion, we got, we got down to the specific descriptive actions, right? That's behind love. The, the love that Yeshua talks about in Matthew where he says, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're like, we prophesied in your name. How do we not know you? And like, well, you didn't come, you didn't visit the people in prison. You didn't clothe the naked. You didn't feed the poor, Right? And that, you get to the description. I think that is very important of what I was saying earlier too. I think it's very imperative for us 
to be more descriptive with these terms and not just throw out all of the, um, the phrases that we hear all the time. I think it's important for us, so it's really not a knowledge thing, it might be an, an English test of how well we can describe words or define words, you know, but it's, it, I know we all know love, but when we are describing what love is, because if you say, I love you, right, it doesn't have the same reminding uh, power to it than saying, I, I love you because I went out and I, I did this activity for you, or I went and I fed those who were hungry, or I went and I, I visited those who were in prison because they didn't have anybody visiting to them, and I wanted to show that actionable love to them. You see how it's remind, it, it brings a, a picture to our minds that because, uh, you know, I was talking to Stephen after yeshiva, you know, it is, and, and in the sense, when you're not doing those actions, it almost acts as, a, it acts as a reminder and then also a check in your spirit, like, wow, am I doing those activities? Am I doing the actionable activities where, where at the end of the day, God will say, you knew me because you did these? Right? He's not just going to come and say, well, did you love that person? And we're say, yeah, I loved him. Right? No, it's what actions have we taken? That's why, I, again, the Bible, our words, when we speak about the Bible to others, is very important how we describe what we're doing. Because not only is it reminding us of how we should be living our lives and the light that we should be to the people around us, but also it's reminding those around us too of what the word says, of what God calls us to be. Returning back to our discussion concerning Numbers uh, 6.27. In this verse, so they shall put my name, put my name on the children of Israel. In this verse, we see the action term put. Other versions might say terms such as invoke or pronounce. Taking a deeper look, we see the Hebrew word for put is shum, which means to put, place, appoint, to lay upon, to ordain, to establish. Understanding these definitions, we see God is literally conveying in this verse that he is making Yisrael. He is making his people his possession. And that going forward, Yisrael will be associated with God's name. Every time they hear the Aaronic benediction, and every time we hear it, they are and we are reminded that they and we as well have been joined with the Most High God, and that His name is upon them, and His name is upon us wherever we go. Is this what we all think about when Senior Rabbi stands up before, uh, in front of us at the end of every service? when he pronounces this erroneous benediction to us and over us? If not, it should be. If not, we should be thinking about those words and what they truly mean and that, that calling, that charge, that banner that is being placed on us each and every day. If we, if we do not think that way and we're really just kind of uh, saying the words along with them or hearing the words, let's start today to actually take those words in and understand each and every word of the eroding benediction. Alluding back to the definitions of the term name, we know that taking upon the name of God is not merely taking on its proper name, but lifting up and carrying as a banner everything God stands for, his instructions, his loving kindness, his power, his mercy, his wisdom. Holding up 
who he is by walking out in action as well as word. Israel would be a witness to any nation they came across for God. To understand what type of blessing this is that God has bestowed on Israel and on us and on those he has called and does call his, his throughout all time, I try to put myself in his shoes. Would I be willing to place my name on someone else? If I would be willing, what qualities would I look for in a person that would carry my name? You know, think about it. If you were in God's shoes and you had a chance to put your name, which, like we talked about definitions, reputation, what it, everything that it means, what qualities would you look for in a person? If we asked ourselves this, how hard would it be for us? Would we look for someone who looks great on the outside, says all the right things, or would we only care about the inside of that person? If we looked at our culture today and see that it's 90% about appearance, one could see how we might go into that direction. Fortunately for us, God does not look at the outside. But at the heart of a man, when he is searching for someone to lay his name on. Now that we have established that God placed his name upon Israel as his chosen, let us look at a couple of scriptures that are in the Torah that speak with with instructions on how Israel should handle this important blessing. Furthermore, I believe the Aaronic benediction was set up as a model of how to of how an optimal relationship between God and Israel would look like. The high priest would convey God's role in the relationship, and through accepting his role and instructions, Israel would follow. God would place his name on them and bless them. This is where we see the light to the nations effect, as stated in Isaiah chapter 62, 1 through 5, which states, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibiah, and your land Beulah. And the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You shall be called a new name out of the mouth's Lord. You shall be a crown of glory, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Now, we are in his hand each and every day. We are a royal diadem. We are a crown of glory. We are no longer forsaken. We do not have terms like desolate upon us. Do we live our lives like this? Do we walk through life each and every day like this? Here we read the culmination of a perfect relationship between God and Israel. Through God's blessings and Israel's obedience, the nations would see and be drawn to Israel's light. Which witnesses to God's greatness? Again, like we started in the beginning, it's all for the sake of God's name. It's all for him. In the end, that's what it's supposed to be. That all those nations around about us are to be drawn in to God. 
Likewise, God seeks to utilize this model with us as a community and individually. Through our steadfast obedience and faith in God and God's steadfast obedience to his promise for us, the communities round about us or people around us will recognize the light and be drawn to it. We won't have to provide a 600-page dissertation like sometimes we, we get into, right? We get into these debates on words and we, 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 we strategize, well, if I say it like this or I say it like that, it's going uh, to be a hook for someone to grab onto and come closer to God. But we don't need these 600-page dissertations, why they should believe. We don't have to bring them here. Uh, we don't even have to ask them to come here, Right? We, we wouldn't have to bring people dragging and screaming to come to temple and worship God. We wouldn't even have to ask them because they would literally see us being this crown of glory and be like, wow, why are you like this? How are you like this? I want to be like that. And then it opens the door. Anyway, let's transition now to how Yisrael and us should carry the name of God once it, it's placed on us. This past Sunday, during Shavuot teaching, Senior Rabbi reviewed the Ten Commandments for us. One command specifically dealt with the use of God's name. Exodus 20, verse 7 states, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This verse has been the focus of much debate concerning its true meaning. When reviewing two key words in the original Hebrew, we see that God is seeking to we see what God is seeking to convey. The Hebrew term for take is, not, is, is a variation of naso, the exact name of this parasha. It's nasa, but it's, it's a variation of it, which literally means to lift up. In addition, the Hebrew word for vain is shav, which means emptiness, worthlessness, or falsity. Again, when we say do not take the Lord's name in vain, we're saying do not take the Lord, uh, Lord God's name in make it emptiness, or make it worthlessness, or make it a falsity. The Hebrew term shav is being used in the sense that the children of Israel might not attribute any wickedness to or at God. And, you know, obviously that's the extreme, right? A, a wickedness and evil of God, definitely, without a doubt. But also, you know, there's that gray area too. We shouldn't bring anything that is empty or worthless and apply it to God as well. We should treat God and the name of God and the banner that he provides us with reverence, with that fear, that holy fear of God. As we know, he is pure and holy and cannot be mixed with any evil. So when the children of Israel are lifting up and carrying God's name, they must represent him correctly. You know, again, when we look at those scriptures of do not carry the Lord's name in vain, you know, I, I, I need to describe, too, that it's not just about saying his name, you know, with words like we hear out uh, in society that use his name in, in a vainly manner. It's the action, right? We saw earlier on in the teaching, we talked about what's behind that name. It's those actions, right? When we talk about terms, about love, what is love? It's just not a label, but it's the actions behind it. When we see names on street signs of, of famous people in our society, what's, it's not a nice name to say, it's because the actions behind it. Similarly, when we're talking about don't use the Lord's name in vain, you know, and that, that banner of God, it's not saying just the words, but it's the actions. What you are doing while carrying the banner of God and attributing those actions to God. 
That's what we must seek not to do. Furthermore, Leviticus 19.12 speaks to a similar instruction as it states, uh, as it states, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I believe these two verses speak to the responsibilities both God and Israel share as it relates to their relationship. God promises to bless and to keep Israel, but Israel must uphold their end of the covenant as well. They must be sure to represent God by his name. And when I say Israel, I'm not just talking about the biblical uh, nation or the biblical people of Israel. I'm talking about all of us included into Israel. So make sure as we read these scriptures and make sure as we go through this teaching that you are including yourself in all of these responsibilities, all of these actions uh, that are, and, and these banners that are uh, put upon us. They must, Israel must be sure to represent God by his name, by who he is and what he has done. Likewise, we as believers must take this banner and continue this charge. We must be cognizant of our actions, cognizant of our words. We must be loyal to God's word. We must be sure we are representing who God is to the communities and individuals around us. Examples in scripture that detail the effective use of God's name can be seen in both the Tanakh and Brith Kadashah. First, we see in 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 46, David approaching Goliath and stating, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You know, a couple of verses in this that obviously jump out, I think, to all of us is the fact that, you know, David is going into battle, and he's not caring about a sword, a spear, a he's not caring about anything. He's going into this fight through the name of the Lord. And then at the end, when he says that the Lord does not save with a sword or spear, but it's the battle is the Lord's. It's by his power, his might. So this very popular section that has been discussed many times. I want to focus on David's words and actions. Even though David possibly could have taken Goliath through his strength and abilities, clearly, you know, he killed lions and bears, right? David made sure to announce, though, and I think that's the key. David was this strong, fierce warrior, Right? He wasn't some, you know, some person just sitting in tents like Jacob. <laughs> he was out. He was fighting bears and lions. That's pretty strong. That's pretty fierce. So he probably had a chance to take Goliath himself. Knowing that, though, he still was humble. He still had humility and knew that it wasn't by his strength, but that it was by God's strength. And that wasn't his battle versus Goliath, but it was God's battle versus Goliath. David made sure to announce, not just to Goliath or Goliath's army, but to the entire army of Israel too, almost as a reminder like we've been talking about, to make sure everybody knew and heard that this was God's fight and they were carrying God's name in the battle. It was a reminder, hey, you're not going into this battle 
through your own power. We have the Lord of hosts. We have the most powerful God fighting for us. Since they were carrying his name, they must move in his power and his strength. In the Brits Kadashah, we read how Peter and John used the name of God, specifically Yeshua, to heal a man. Peter and John were on their way to the temple when they passed a beggar seeking alms. Peter answers him in Acts 3, verse 6, as he states, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Yeshua Messiah of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So the beggar was seeking money. And Peter, obviously, through the power of Yeshua's name, had different ideas. So Peter didn't just say, rise and walk, like Yeshua did when he, Yeshua was on the earth, because Yeshua was the source of living waters. Yeshua was God. But what does Peter say? He doesn't just say, rise and walk and go forward. He states through Yeshua's name that carries something with it. What did Yeshua stand for? Yeshua's name, what does it mean? What does it stand for? How many different variations? How many different descriptions are out there? Salvation, healing, power, and countless others. There are many descriptions that are applied to Yeshua. So when you hear in Yeshua's name, you have to think about all these different descriptive terms that go along with it. We have to remind ourselves what that is. We find one through the Haftarah portion. So another descriptive term that I found very interesting as I was reading through the parasha this week. The Haftarah highlights the coming birth of Samson and how an angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, detailing how they would have a son and he was to be a Nazarite. The verses I want to focus on, though, deal with the conversation between Manoah and the angel. We read in, his, in this in Judges chapter 13, verses 17 through 20, which states, Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. So two things in this section of verses I, I find very interesting. I think, in, in my personal belief, paint a, a better picture of who this angel was. First, you know, in other versions and translations, many of you might have the translations. When you read in verse... I think that's seven, uh, 18. When you read in 18, we're at towards the end, it says, why do you ask my name? And then it says, for it is wonderful. Okay, that's how the angel responded, for it is wonderful. Many of the versions I've seen out there, it actually says, for it is secret, which is an interesting uh, determination by the translator of that definition. Because when you look at the Hebrew of what that wonderful or secret uh, term is, you get the term peli, found from the roots pala, which means, and so the meaning of pala or meaning of pali is wondrous, in kind of wondrous works, wonders done by someone, or marvelous, or as we see in this verse, wonderful. Interesting, this same Hebrew term was used in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 which states, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, 
Prince of Peace. So when we look at Judges 13, uh, verse 18, and we see wonderful, and the angel saying, it is wonderful. And then we couple it with the fact that in Isaiah 9, 6, about wonderful counselor, Peli or Pala being used. You know, I personally believe that this highlights that Yeshua was the angel bringing forth the good news of Manoah and his wife's future child. I think in a couple, not just on that alone, right? Because you could do comparisons of words and you could just use that and say, well, there you go. But it might not be, you, you kind of need other aspects to come up with uh, that type of interpretation. And again, this is my personal belief. I could definitely be wrong, but as I see it, as it relates to the definition of uh, wonderful and how the conversation went, but also in addition to what occurred when um, Manoah brought the uh, offering and what, what happened, what the angel, what occurred once the offering and the fire went up, what occurred afterwards when the angel went up with the fire. So I personally believe that this highlights that Yeshua was bringing the good news to Manoah and his wife's future child. In addition, in the fact that Manoah and his wife fell to the ground to worship, worship the angel of the Lord as the angel went up in the flame. Interestingly, the Hebrew term for went up in this section is Allah, which is where Olah, or burnt offering, comes from. So as that burnt offering went up, as the angel of the Lord went up in the flame, you see Manoah and his wife fall to the ground, prostrate themselves in worship of that divine being. Moving forward, later on in Acts 3, when people have gathered to see and hear about this miracle, Peter professes in Acts 3.16 the following. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And his name, faith in his name. And when we say faith in Yeshua, faith in what that means, what that represents. Again, Peter takes this opportunity to highlight that the man was healed through Yeshua's name and through the faith by the man in Yeshua's name. Was it a faith just in the proper name or what Yeshua represented? Finally, that, finally, when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin concerning what had transpired the day before, Peter answers in Acts 4, 7 through 12, the following. And when they had sent them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that, the, it, that by the name of Yeshua the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, picture this scenario. You have Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin. All these men of the Sanhedrin seeking, have been seeking for, since Yeshua was on the earth, of attacking these apostles and disciples, trying to stomp out, stamp out this message that they were promoting. So think about the pressure they must have been feeling from these men standing, uh, sitting uh, in front of them. 
and thinking about what had occurred. They didn't shy away from it. They didn't, they didn't try to navigate it through uh, political words, right? Or, or try to get out of there to save their lives. They moved with boldness and made sure everybody knew in hearing whose name that, whose name that miracle, that wondrous work, um, was, that marvelous work was performed by. You know, throughout this event, we read how Peter emphasized the healing, came through the name of Yeshua, and he did it three times, which I find it, uh, I find it interesting, right, compared to, with, with Peter's, uh, Peter's history of doing something three times. Peter moved with boldness through the Holy Spirit, detailing how Yeshua healed the man. I believe this is important to emphasize. When Yisrael of old moved in God's name, or us as believers move in his name today, we have to make sure that we don't shy away from pronouncing what, by what means a miracle, by what means help. Like if we help someone um, and we give them food, by what means these things take place. We can't just say thank you, but we have to give the proper recognition or we have to ensure that we're careful that people don't go away thinking that it's because of us and not because of who is above us, or behind us, or in front of us, or around us. We have to be sure that we don't steal the glory of God. We must realize that it's due to God's power, His mercy, His healings, that miracles occur. That mountains are moved, or people are healed, not through any specific thing we say or do. We must not lift up our name and cause God's name to be in vain. Switching gears, I want to spend a little bit of time discussing an individual receiving a name change. In ancient times, this was seen as a person receiving a new life or a new beginning. First, I would like to discuss Jacob. What significance did this represent? Let's read in Genesis 32, 24 through 29, and Genesis 35, 9 through 11, which states, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. As we read, Jacob had his name changed from Yaakov, meaning heel holder or supplanter to Israel, which means God prevails. So heel holder or supplanter to God prevails. Furthermore, taking an example from the Brit Kadashah, again, you know, I, I say those terms of what the definitions of what the names means, and throughout the teaching, you know, I'm calling out words and I'm trying to give a better descriptive terms around just those words so it paints a better picture for us of what all of this means. You know, going from supplanter to God prevails. So every time uh, Jacob would either call himself Yisrael or have someone call him Yisrael, imagine what that was reminding him of. 
that was reminding of who he is in God. But if someone called him Jacob, you know, and if he understood and, and, and took time to take hold of what that definition is of supplanter, right? You see the flesh and spirit against each other, right? So I think it's very important and it shows the differences of how we can see each other. Do we see each other in our fleshly ways and whatever that means? Or do we see ourselves in God and uh, spirit, in the spiritual ways or in how God sees us? I mean, that's a, obviously it's a prayer. I know we probably all pray, um, you know, for ourselves, but also for our loved ones, our children, whatever it might be, that may they see who they are in God. Because really, I mean, obviously we have we live in our flesh, so we we have um, fleshly issues, you know, especially as it relates to confidence or boldness, right, or uh, insecurities. You know, none of us, if we think about it, and we're in the Word continually, we're praying continually, we're reading these descriptive words, we're understanding who is in front of us, behind us, on sides of us, what these descriptive terms are. None of us should have issues with insecurities, right? Now, clearly, there's, we're, we're going to trip every so often. Clearly, we're going to get in our flesh, and at those times, we'll probably start to doubt. We'll probably have to start to have worry, uh, be worrying about things and stresses and that sort of thing. But we should then boomerang right back into the Spirit and remind ourselves through the Word or through speaking out. That's why when we do the memory verses, that's why it's very important to memorize these verses and to say them out because we're reminding ourselves that's why God put it here. That's why God, all the different things, you know, the, the, the mezuzahs on the doorpost, the tzitzit on uh, the talits, they're all for reminders, right? It's just not to look good or look pretty. It's to remind us. That's what all this is about. It's just as we're journeying through this wilderness until we get to Olam Haba, we're, God put millions of things in place so that we may be reminded of who we are in him, so that we may be reminded of how we should live our lives by his instructions, how we should treat others by his instructions. And I totally lost my place. Matt, uh, did we do Matthew 16 yet? Okay, thank you. Uh, so, Again, Yaakov, meaning heel holder or supplanter to Israel, which means God prevails. Furthermore, taking an example from the Brit Kalashah, we see Simon receiving his new name from Yeshua. Matthew 16, 16 through 19 states, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yeshua answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. As we read here, Simon, which means to hear, to be heard, reputation, has his name changed to Peter, rock. Interestingly, when taking these two examples together, we see that what God did was change Jacob and Peter's names to an aspect of who he is for them and for all of Israel. Similar, similar to in the beginning, when we discussed how God would place his name on his people, God reached out and chose these two individuals to specifically carry banners of God prevailing and the rock, a banner for God. 
and the rock from that time forward as a witness for Israel and the nations. Likewise, we as people each carry a banner for God. Each of us represents an aspect. Each of us is a light representing having when people view us, they're hopefully seeing the light which is emanating from the true light, the Ha'or, God. We each represent an aspect of God's wonderfulness, individually and as a community. If we as a people carry the banner of the Lord and do not deviate from what his name represents, he has promised that we will receive a new name again, representing a new beginning, a new life in the future. Isaiah 56 verse 5 states, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And similarly, Revelation 2.17 and 3.12 states, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will, write on, I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. And I will write on him my new name. What a glorious time that's going to be. Having all those put on us. Receiving that new name. The name of uh, my, my God. The name of the city of my God. The new, all of these things. And, and then you read through those verses and you realize, uh, and you think about our lives, and you realize, I mean, it's humbling, right? Clearly not worthy. Cle Remembering back to the first section of verses of this teaching, number 6, 22 through 27, Aaron the high priest was commanded to bless Yisrael through the benediction. And as we discussed, when that blessing was repeated, it was a reminder to the children of Israel of what name they were carrying and whom they were joined to. Likewise, Yeshua, as our high priest, came to this earth to bless his people, Israel. We read in Acts chapter 3, 25 through 26, which states, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Yeshua and sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. What is the purpose of this blessing? Why did Jacob fight so hard for one? Through scriptural examples, specifically the patriarchs, we see that blessings convey a future inheritance, future life among other things. Through Yeshua coming on earth, instructing the people to teshuvah and return to God and by giving his life for all mankind, Yeshua provided the ultimate blessing and placement of his name on his people. He provided a path to the future inheritance and life for those who want to fight for it. Not just go peacefully through life, reading, studying, simple things, but fighting. Right? Not just being a studier in a library, but fighting, taking action, taking this, not just reading it, but actually making it come alive. Furthermore, Yeshua speaks of blessings and again future inheritances for those who fit into the following specific groups of people. In Matthew 5, 1 through 12, which states, 
Now when Shua saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be so mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. By detailing these blessings, Yeshua was teaching everyone that those who fall into these categories, in effect, are carrying the name of God as a banner. These are the individuals who are joined together with God and know the meaning of his name. So as we journey forward, we must all be cognizant of and steadfast in the charge of carrying the banner of God as a part of Israel. Amen? Amen. It is our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made it us unlike the nations of the lands and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He has not made our portion like theirs and our lot like all their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the king over kings, the holy one, blessed be he. He stretches out heaven and establish, establishes earth's foundation. And the seed of his glory is in the heavens above and the presence of his power is in the most exalted heights. He is our God. There is none other. True is our king. There is nothing beside him. As it is written in his Torah, and you shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord, he is God. In the heavens above and on the earth below, there is none other. Amen.